Welcome to the Leadership Trip, coffee and conversations for leaders leading the next generation. We're excited to welcome to the table another incredible guest. But before we do, could you do us a favor and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode? While you're at it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. That helps these conversations reach other great leaders. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to join us at the table for another great episode of the Leadership Trip. Rob, my friend, it is a beautiful day in Southeast Tennessee. It doesn't get much better than this around here. Well, I don't know, bro. The pollen is killing me today. I sound like a good preacher this morning or today because I got that pollen voice. I wish I had that going on for you. (laughs) I think the weather may be better down in Tampa, Florida. Our friend and uh, guest Aaron Burke is from Radiant Church in Tampa, Florida. He also does a podcast, which is titled Made for More. He is a leader of leaders. He does a lot of church planning uh, conferences and conversations. He also has a doctorate of ministry, which you just finished yours. I just finished mine Like this quite week. literally finished right. it. Yeah. Um, and the emphasis is in church planting and leadership, which is two of our favorite conversations and why we had him on the show. Aaron, yep. welcome to the table. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys. Awesome. So you're in Tampa. We have to we have to get your hot take. The yeah. Tom Brady situation. Give us give us your thoughts. You know, we were praying for miracles. When people doubt, they go, "Do miracles happen today?" And the miracle is that Tom is back. And, <laughs> you know, uh, I saw a meme the other day that you know he, he you know he's home for three weeks taking care of his kids, and he goes, "Now I'll go back to being beat up by." 300 pounders so I'll, I'll come back to that i have a i have a, excited i have a response to that meme is like with the 300 pound men he's got 300 pound men in front of him but a six-year-old at full steam man like yeah. that is unstoppable yeah like they will clobber you so someone else put one out there that said uh with gas prices these hot this high even tom brady's going back to work so. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's uh, yeah that's sad but true <laughs> this town so it's been fun uh i go to as many games as i can uh, but it's a little did you see did you see a comment like i mean i mean what did, no I, yeah i don't know i'm i have some we have some players and some people that are you know go to the church obviously yeah and uh they they were the talk that morning was that he's gonna come back and go to the 49ers no that was a bummer and then I was actually teaching a, uh, like a young pastor's uh, event that Sunday night after church, and then uh, I got the my phone started blowing up. They're like, he's back. <laughs> so, Tom, if you watch this, if you listen to this, just there's a church in Radiant called Radiant Church in Tampa. We've been inviting you for years. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, if you're if yeah. you're listening to this podcast, I'm impressed. Listen, I, I, who who may need save the most, and I'm just gonna put out there maybe Gronk. We may need to get Gronk to your church first. I mean. Yeah. Uh, we yeah, that is for sure. He, he needs Jesus, and uh, yeah, that's all I'll say about that. Well, well, that's good. But you have been there in Tampa since 2013, Radiant Church. You planted. You're now about 10 years in, nine years in. Um, so what? When do you quit being called a church planner? This is like a personal question. Like we're we're like nine months in, right? And so you've been doing it like nine years, but you, they still like it's Aaron Burke, the church planter. But you guys have been doing it for nine years. So when do they quit calling us church planners? Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I have a kid that's nine years old. I'm still a dad. You know, it's like <laughs> it's you kind of it's something you do. You plan at a church. Rick Warren is still a church planner. Yeah. Got a guy. Yeah, it's kind of your identity. So uh, we moved here nine years ago. It was nine years ago this month that we had our first interest meeting. Um, and so then we uh, planted the church in September. So we're about eight and a half years old as a church. And so it was, we didn't know anybody in Tampa. Like literally we moved here with a vision from God to plant a church in a large city in Florida. Uh, we moved from seven hours away. We're in Pensacola. So uh, we had family about an hour away from here in Lakeland. So mm-hmm. we lived with my in-laws for the first three months, and I drove back and forth every day. That was miserable. Uh, not driving back and forth, living with the in-laws. That was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, it, was, it, was, it was a painful, painful season. But we honored God. We did what we were called to do. And, it's, uh, and then we started the church in a rundown, dirty dollar theater in the South Tampa community. Uh, and that was the only location we could find. And 
still meet. I'm actually filming this. I mean, I'm, I'm right now in that same building that we took over a few years later. We took over the lease, and uh, it's still our broadcast site. That's very cool. Very cool. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, we were talking a little bit before the show about Saddleback and Rick and the secession plan and. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Rick plants another church once they once they get somebody else in place. Like the man is is absolutely unreal, right? <laughs> Probably would. I told Katie, I said I will never do that again. Once we planted the church, I'm like I am done. That was tough. Yeah, it's it's hard. So so looking back nine years, um, obviously even before that you had some experience, but from a church planner's perspective, from launching a new ministry, from the entrepreneurial sort of viewpoint. Uh, what are some of those leadership things you wish you knew then that you know now? Like, what's the carryover? Well, I mean, I think there, there's a lot. So what I know now is that you never go wrong investing in, in young leaders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that was my big thing. I was a youth pastor for six years, and um, I hated youth ministry. I never liked it. I did it because my pastor asked me to do it. I was I had started a business, it's a long story, but anyway, I had started a business in Pensacola to fund missions work that I was doing. I was a full-time missionary. And um, so the, the pastor of the church asked me to be a youth pastor. So, and I didn't want to do it. I didn't feel called to teenagers or anything. And I wasn't a good youth pastor, um, but I was a great developer of leaders. And so all I would spend my time with is with the 18, 19, 20 year olds. Mm-hmm. And I realized that my investment in them would actually be the very thing that would make um, radiant, the win that it that it has been, it, the little bit of, of win that it's been, and because those are the people that helped to start the church. And so when I moved, you know, it's seven hours away. These these are the, the people that came with me. I mean, I just got out of a meeting a few minutes ago with one of them who was a girl who got saved in our youth group, and now she's one of our highest level leaders overseeing a campus, uh, you know, with a couple thousand people at it. Like she's high capacity, and it's all. This is somebody that was just, I never knew at the time how important it is to to invest in leaders, young yeah. leaders. Um, so I wish I would have done it more because it was very organic back mm. then. And mm. I wish it would have been more strategic because I could have had double the amount of people or triple the amount of people if I would have been more strategic about it. So, so walk us through that thought, Aaron. How have you moved from organic, which I think anybody who has a heart for discipleship kind of lends, leans that way, to more strategic in how you're developing leaders at Radiant? Yeah. Okay, so w- what we have done is we've been very clear with leadership pipelines. So I remember uh, years ago, I sat down with... Um, uh, a young leader, and that is a future church planner. He's he was leading an organization, and and um, he wants to learn church planning. He was picking my brain and stuff. And I said, "Well, well, how?" There's a mega, mega, mega church in his community. I said, "So are you going to that church?" He goes, "No." He goes, "I went to the church," and he goes, "And I was there for like three or four months, and I'm high capacity." Like, and he goes, "And I could not find the way to move forward in my next step." He goes, it almost became like you had to know the person to get them connected. And I thought, okay, we got to fix it. And so the light bulb came on for me of going, in the early church planning days, so much of discipleship and leadership development is organic. It's Jesus and it's 12. That works. But it doesn't work when you get to the 5,000. Mm. You've got to have a way that you get to the 5,000 and you go, okay, when you're in the 5,000, how does the new person or the person, what's the clear path? So we had to develop clear paths. So we have a few of them. I mean, we have an event that's three or, three or four times a year, depending on need, called culture. Culture is our movement. So every church has got their assimilation process. That's right. their way of getting mm-hmm. someone from a guest to a member. We try to figure out, we got them on the team. How do we get them from the team to a leader on the team? Well, then we put together these culture days. And it's high, high vision, our, our leader profile. We, we, we develop what it means to be a leader in our church. So we got that to now moving from, from the leader to going, now how do we see people that are leaders now become pastors? So then I created MIT. So MIT is ministers in training. So this is a six months program, three months of it is teaching, three months of it is apprenticeship that is all just developing now future pastors. Because these are 
bankers and nurses and uh, you know uh, uh, physical therapists that feel like man I feel like I've got a calling on my life I just mm-hmm. don't know how to get there um, or I'm pastoring I just don't know how to officially make it happen so we just had to create different systems and so and we're constantly evaluating our systems or uh, do we have a way that is clear where people can go i can move because the vision of our church is we move people from where they are to where god wants them to be mm-hmm. so that's the vision that's all we do we move people from where they are to where god wants them to be so if they're unsaved we move them from unsaved to getting saved if they're if they're saved but not doing anything we move them from saved to being activated if they're uh, if they're in a a member but they're not a leader and god wants them to be a leader we move them into leadership so you guys just have clear paths yeah Yeah. so let me let me play just a a little bit of um uh devil's advocate here because you've met hundreds if not thousands of pastors i've met hundreds uh you know of pastors in this in this same conversation um we think in systems we think in in clear steps right because that's our Mm -hmm. natural design it's how god gifted us how he wired us I think there are numerous pastors who would listen to a conversation like this and be totally overwhelmed, not even know what first base is, not even know how to start to create a clear pathway or even what that means. So uh, help help those who might be listening, who could be possibly a little little tired, a little exhausted. I mean, they're coming out of covid like they they, they want to do a got, good job. They love Jesus. They, they want to see their church and their community grow. What is their first step? Like, yeah. like how do they how do they chew on this in such a way as that they can process it and implement it maybe in that local church that's 50, 100, 150, 200 people? Absolutely. So when I talk to people that you're, let's just talk, you're under 100. You're under 100 people in your church. You're a new church plant or maybe you're taking over an existing church or maybe you're just kind of struggling. It's just in the environment that you're in. It's struggling. Or let's be real. Some rural churches, a hundred people, that's a big church. Right. Like that's it. So so let's take context in there. Hundred people, what are you gonna do? I'm gonna put a night on my calendar every week that's going to be about developing next generation leaders. You never go wrong. Put a night on your calendar where every where you're investing in leaders. And because listen, I, I hear it all the time. It's like if I just get this person on my staff, if I just find a good assistant associate pastor, if I just found a good youth pastor, don't find them, discover them. Yep. Discover them within your church. Let it be one of those things that you go, I'm going to develop who I want to be in that position. So for us, we had volunteer staff for the first two years of our church. We did not hire a full-time staff member in our church till we were over 500. So well, what I did is I developed it. I go, I can't spend time with everybody, but I can invest in, a, in some young leaders that'll move the ball forward. So what are you looking for? So I look for leaders that are gatherers. I want to invest in the influencers. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. So eventually you're going to need this strategic thinker. Eventually you're going to need the, you know, the out of the box creative. You'll need that eventually. But right now you've got to invest in the influencers because if you can get people that build teams around you, look at the person on your team that is going, they throw a Super Bowl party and 30 people show up to their house. Okay. You're a church of a hundred and you have a person who has a Super Bowl party with 30 people show up. You better be developing that. Right. And get over the insecurity that they don't need to be developed by you. That you've got something like, no, you go through 21 irrefutable laws of, of leadership with John Maxwell. Don't, don't recreate something. Don't sit there and go, I gotta have some amazing original content. Go through a Mark Batterson book with them. Mm-hmm. Find ways to grow together and develop a team because you'll never go wrong with investing in young leaders. And because to me, it's the best leaders I've got were new six years ago. Like, but if you got to look at it like the seed, I'm going to plant the seed and I know it's not going to reap reap it years from now. I mean, right now, but it'll reap it years from now. And I have to be okay with that. Um, A couple things on this that I think would, would be helpful is if you're just starting out, you get to create your culture. Right. And so that's why outside hires are not great normally when you're out when you're an early on church. 
outside hires are when you want to change a culture. Right. I hire from without, from outside when I don't like what I'm doing. <laughs> so that's the way we work. So I didn't like the way our kids ministry was being ran. So we hired from without. I didn't like the way that, um, you know, creatively we were doing some stuff. So we hired from without. But inside, inside hires reinforces our culture. So when you're new and you're young, you want to reinforce who you are with these young leaders. And so you've got to put a night on the calendar to develop them. And I think I think the real the real thing here is we have to resist the temptation to make it happen or have it happen right now, mm-hmm. because in leadership investment is a long term conversation. Right. That's that's a long view. That's a long view of of church health and church growth. Right. And so I think it's I think it's the better view. There are things that we need to have executed right now, like fine, that's fair. But but in terms of the health and longevity and the growth of the church and growth, not meaning numerical, I mean, growth in terms of discipleship and formation, that's a long view conversation. So resist that temptation to do it right here, do it right now. And resist the uh, the unmet expectation that every person you invest in is you're going to get a reward out of. Exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Exactly. I, I invest in five and two of them really move the ball forward. Right. And you know what? The other three, I don't understand it and I don't get it. And I don't know why they go to another church or I don't know why they just become a better leader in the bank that they're in at. But it's, that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is I pray to the Lord of the harvest to send, to raise up laborers. And when he brings them to me, I'm going to invest in them. Right. So have you had to live sort of open-handed with those leaders, Aaron? Like, Because people come and go. And sometimes we invest in people and God calls them elsewhere. So I know there's some, some maybe fear of leaders going, hey, I'm going to spend two years with you and God's going to send you to Columbia or whatever it is. So... With Radiant, have you had to live kind of open-handed and be like, if God sends you somewhere else, I've got to let you go? Yeah, well, we excommunicate with them. Leave. We don't. Talk <laughs> <laughs> people, people leave. You know what? Um, I have found that if you do leave, live open-handed in the same way that God challenges us to live open-handed with our finances, mm-hmm. then what He then we don't become. And by the way, this is a hot issue for today because the the weird, toxic, almost abusive, I don't want to overuse that word, cultures of like, if you're not for us, you're against us. Yeah. We're going to get everything out of you. We can't, right. can't live in that world. We got to we gotta treat people like, hey, I remember what Aaron Burke was like at 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was not as reliable as I am at 38 now. So... I just got to understand, and I got to remember, I was a youth pastor for six years. I did transition. Now, I transitioned well, but at the same time, I left a hole there, and that is a struggle. And so I've just got to extend grace to people because it was extended to me, and I've got to understand that uh, my wife and I had a conversation this morning. We had a guy uh, come to us uh, before COVID, this whole thing, and he came into one of our departments and left a year later. And so, and you know, he doesn't have the best reputation from our staff. And I told my wife today, I said, I'm so glad he came. The, the church benefited by this, 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 this. Mm-hmm. He was able to take this to the next level. And honestly, I don't think we understand. He actually is the one that spotted our leader that is now our future, the pastor of that department. And I said, we've got to stop looking like people are the problem in this. Instead, of maybe God brings him in for a season and moves right. him yeah. with thick skin and a soft heart don't get bitter in ministry people leave one of my closest friends helped to start the church um it just a pillar in our church sat down with me last summer and just said the lord has told me it's time to move yeah. mm-hmm. it grips my heart and it's like we cry together and you yeah know, and we're still some of my closest friends and it was tough but you can't it's God's church. We're all expendable. Yeah. We're, all, yeah. we're, we're all interim pastors. I'm the interim pastor at this church. I might be interim for 30 years, but guess what? Somebody else is going to take it after me. So we're all interim. 
<laughs> until the Lord gets yeah. revealed in something that's for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I, I, our culture, our culture is obviously had such an impact on how we um, organize, how we administrate the church. Um, you know, and, and so we, we get caught in this tension a lot of times as leaders of uh, growing communities versus creating commodities, right? I mean, it's like we need those executables, but at the same time, there's still the Imago Day. There's still people made in the image of God who who he has poured his life into and died for and all the things, right? So it's 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 an odd tension a lot of times, especially yeah. as a young church planner, right. like yeah. when you just need you need well, the that church pulse. Is young. I don't know if I'm young. Yeah, well you you know what I'm saying. But the, the church plan is right. young and you gotta have that pulse at the door greeting someone and they become commodities, not not a part of the community. But I think you know, we've talked a lot about sort of that systematic process of developing mm-hmm. leaders and, and the difference that would make. And so I think as we frame that conversation, I, I think it's it's a good point uh, that you're making, Aaron, I, that, that we need I, to just live very open-handedly. The last couple of weeks, we, we had uh, Pastor Chris Hodges on a couple of weeks ago. And in the echoes of my brain is when he said, when we were early church, we were developing 10 drummers because we were knew we were going to need drummers. Yeah. Like it was this perpetual, like we're developing, developing, developing with the vision of multiplication and growth because you're going to have the leaders to grow. Now I know your heart is multiplication. You, I've heard you say from the stage and from your podcast as well, get to two services as quickly as possible. Unpack sort of that thought for, especially maybe a small church or a young church, why that's important. I think you get to two services because it provides health. Um, my goal in anything that we do as a church is health. It's not growth. Right. What's going to be the healthiest for our team and what's going to be the healthiest for our community. So I've never been to a restaurant that has one item on the menu. So, or one time of the day, that one hour that you can get there to eat. No, I want to know there's options. So churches will grow based on options. I hate that that the sounds um, consumer-like, but it's the reality. The more options, the better. Live Church, before they add another campus, has already had six or seven services at that building. Just something about the idea Mm -hmm. that how the church grows. So the stat is that if you have 100 people in attendance, if you go to two services, your church will grow 25% without any additional marketing or anything in any way, just because of the option. So you've got to put, understand options help. Secondly, it's I think it's the serve one, sit one culture. It's the best thing for my for somebody that's serving in, in a children's room. They're serving, they're serving with children's ministry, is they're using God's gift but they have to be in the presence of God and experience the service. Mm-hmm. And if you have people in a church plan or in a church where they their entire Sunday experience is with a bunch of uh, some babies and they're using their gift, but they're not being filled back up, it, it destroys. I'm telling you, what most people tell me is I can't go to two services because of children's ministry. And I respond to them is with, you go to two services because of children's ministry. Right. Yeah. It is children's ministry that brings me to multiple services because we launch campuses, every campus with two, with two services. These are campuses that run three, 400 people after they're done, after they're the launch in auditoriums that are seeing seven, 800 people. So you got to think realistically adults, there's 120 adults in that, in that auditorium. Why do you need two services? Because of children's ministry. Hmm. No, to completely. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. So I think, you know, obviously, um, multiplication, uh, multi-site models, even, even sort of the, the microsite movement is that is really, I think is beginning to catch speed in, in some areas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so all of these models, and we've talked about it before on the show, they all seem to be working right now. We all have our sort of our convictional sort of approach. You certainly have yours. Radiant does an amazing job of how you carry forth those values. And so how do we discover, like when we 
talk about moving to two services or multiplying the the effect of what we do. Like, how do we discover like what is the right approach for our community, our church, right? Because a rural church is going to approach it different from an urban church or whatever. Like West Coast, East Coast, like, I mean, we could talk about the differences. So how for you would you coach someone in sort of discovering what their best multiplication model might be? Yeah. So be a student of this this whole uh, industry. And what I would tell you is find the thing that makes you most alive. Mm. So I hear I, I, I am a, I'm a student of this industry. All I love to talk about is church planning and multi-site. That's what I love to talk about. Yeah. So I hear about it all the time. And there's certain things that I hear about, and I'm listening to it going, why in the world would someone do that? I wouldn't even attend that church, let alone lead that way. But then I see, um, I don't know if you've ever been to like Kansas or Texas. Texas is a good example. You go to Texas. Everybody in Texas loves Texas. I don't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> what is it about Texas that makes you come alive? And they just love Texas. I love multi-site video video. I love it. I have studied it. I've broken it down. I think it's, I think it just makes me, I, I've never said it's most effective. I say it's what I'm most passionate about. Mm-hmm. So stop telling other people my way's best. My way is my preference. Right. But dinner party churches, I don't understand it. But that's someone's that's yeah. somebody's thing that makes them come alive. A micro church and the whole different thing. So for me, and then the multi-site models, then you have live preaching versus video preaching. I'm a visionary. I don't want other people giving vision for the church. Right. I want to be the visionary. Mm-hmm. And I preach vision every Sunday. So for my model, it works for me, but other churches do it different ways and let them thrive. But for me, I am so sold on it. And I would say, whatever you do, do something that makes you come alive that you're passionate about. Because if you're not passionate about it, nobody else. Is going right. To exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's so true. And, and so you guys are at seven campus or eight. Yep. Seven. seven, seven. You're going to eight. And the goal is 10 in 10 years. That's an unreal pace. So how have you sort of been able to sustain such a such a pace and not burn out your team moving that quickly? Well, our goal, again, is help, not grow. Right. So we do things based on the health of our church, not based on a target growth. So um, some growth plan. So, yes, we have a vision given to it. was at CMN conference uh, one of the first years. I'm sitting there laying on the floor praying, and I felt like God said 10K for Tampa Bay. And I pulled out my journal and wrote 10,000 people in 10 locations by our 10-year anniversary. Now, was that God's idea, my idea? I don't know. It came to my mind. Hmm. So that's our plan. I refuse to let that plan kill our staff. Right. So if we don't get there and have three more campuses— um, in the next two years, then I'm not going to lose sleep over that. Um, but if we get there, so for instance, we weren't going to do a campus in August. We were going to do one in January and two next year in the fall. So that gives us a year and a half right now to launch three campuses. We kind of got that mapped out um, and we moved our campus from August to January just because COVID for us is like we're finally on the other side right. of this thing. Our campuses are growing again. We're, you know, past pre-COVID numbers. We're, we're, we opened us a couple of permanent sites. So we feel like we have some traction. We're like, let's get those campuses up enough to now we can launch some locations off of it. What's the best for the health of the church? We looked at that. Mm-hmm. But now in one of our communities, we found out a building's going up for sale. That might be a God thing. Well, now we go... We weren't planning on it. Our staff is healthy. We could probably launch this this year. So we're opportunistic. We're, we're going to respond with what's healthy for us, and then what are the opportunities out there? And, you know, obviously you said you had Chris Hodges on. He's coached me on this many times. It's do you have more people than you need? Do you have more leaders than you need? And do you have more money than you need? 
That's how you launch kids. So you multiply by, and that's my job. Your job as a senior pastor is to raise. So I raise vision by preaching. I'm the vision caster of the church. I raise leaders by strategically having some kind of leadership development, and I raise money. And I, I that is my primary goal, is I raise leaders, raise vision, raise money. And so I realize our multi-site is based on all three of those. Yeah. It reminds me of the, if you ever read a classic Andy Stanley book, I think it was called Next Generation Leader. He said in that, what can you do that nobody else can do? And yeah. as, as lead pastors, really, those three things, the vision, um, maybe you can get other people to lead leaders or raise leaders, but it, it seems to fall back to the visionary pastor and raising money. Like they're not going to like take like you're like somebody else is going to come up there and buy in necessarily on the money piece if it's not coming from the lead pastor. So so that's sort of a leadership principle. Like Aaron's doing what nobody else in his team can do. And it seems like you're delegating and releasing what other people can do in their gift sets to do well. And it's it's creating that ripple kind of health and growth in, in Radiant. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> That's the plan, right? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Let's see. So let's kind of uh, talk a little bit about sort of, again, this this uh, church dynamic, right? Because when we start talking about church plants, uh, we typically tend to skew younger in, in the church plant realm. Uh, but then we also have churches that are well-established that skew heavier towards the upper age demographic. And so like, like Barna points out, you know, Matlock and Kinnaman and all these guys are pointing out the, the necessity for intergenerational relationships within a healthy church context. Right. So how are you helping sort of uh, push the needle in healthier sort of directions when you typically skew young, but you know, you need the older influence or, if you're coaching a pastor who who has anyone or everyone over the age of 50, like how are you help right. coaching them to bend more young? Like what's the, uh, what's the mechanisms there? Yeah. I, I tell you, it's been something we're super intentional about. There's obviously a very big uh, push and, and rightfully show. So for racial diversity, and right. um, I think that is a major problem. Um, but I think equally as problematic is there's a lack of age diversity in church. Mm -hmm. And it is shocking to me. Um, so, for instance, I have to be intentional. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit easier now. I feel like I'm in a little bit sweeter spot. But when I launched the church when I was 29, it's hard at 29 years old to attract 55, 60-year-olds. Right. Yeah. Um, it's a little easier at 38. It'll be easier for sure around 48. But you've got to be intentional about making a point to go, I'm not just called to activate um, 20 year olds in ministry. So for instance, the meeting I had right before this, that went long, um, which I apologize. Um, the meeting I had right before this was with a 72 year old retired pastor who just retired and moved down. And now it's living in our community and has attended our church the last six months. Mm. So my goal is going, I've got this gold mine. He's got 40 years right. of pastoral ministry. Yeah. He doesn't want money. He doesn't want a title. He just says, I'm here to serve the church. Well, great. Because when I see other 67 year olds walking in our church, I want them to see you in that foyer. I want them to see you up front on the prayer team. We've got to have spaces for people from all generations yeah. to be there. And I think it's very common for us to think older needs to find a space for the younger but I would actually challenge a lot more young ministers, young leaders. You need to provide places for people that are older to be on your staff, to be on your teams. Yeah. Um, and, and that has been a game changer for our church. Some of our best leaders, uh, we make uh, space for them that are in their 50s, 60s, 70s. So you just got to have that moment because people want to get to a place. It's one of the very first things that people do is they look around and go, are there other people like me here? Mm -hmm. And I can't, I can't be the young church because a young church, I want to be the young church. I want to reach this next generation. I always want to get younger, but I want to get younger, but I have to, you, you, you can't reach the next without having the, the resources and the wisdom of the previous generation. Right. Yeah. No. And that's the sort of the, the struggle our young church has kind of found itself in. Like we are. Uh, aiming very strategically at young adults and college students and we're winning them and the prayer has been God send us wiser voices and so the paradox I'm hoping plays out Aaron and maybe you've seen this is that by keeping your church somewhat young and vibrant 
there are people in their 40s and 50s who still want to feel that way and be a part of that energy. Is that holding true or is that, am I way off base there? Yes. I'll, I'll tell you what I think is more important. Okay. Uh, because if, if it was all energy and vibe, they would go to the local club right. because it's really cool. Um, what I think is, I think there's two things that do it. Um, one is I want them to constantly hear life change stories mm-hmm. of 20 year olds, legitimate salvation stories, right. not like, Hey, I found my best friends here at the church. No, I came far from God, having a relationship with God. That is what I feel like. Again, we're talking about, we opened this thing up with Tom Brady. What does Tom Brady did? He's a great name, but I'll tell you what he also did. He started winning games. And a lot of pastors are going, like, I just don't understand why people aren't buying in. Win. Here's how you win. You see lives change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so older generation buys into the fact that they're winning, not because they look cool, but because there's actual salvation experiences. Yeah. And then the second one that I just feel like it's it's huge is this idea that they're bought in to sound biblical teaching. Let's be real. Like in a world, so I did a message um, uh, um, a couple months ago in a relationship series, and I did it on God's perfect plan for human sexuality. Little hot button. Mm-hmm. My 20, 30, 40 year olds, great. High five, Pastor. Cool message. I'll tell you who I heard it from the 60 plus year olds. They're the ones that are calling me, texting me, going, thank you. This is why I'm here. Yeah. I want to hear the next generation hear this. Yeah. There's something about that. And we were hearing that same kind of sentiment from from multiple generations. Can we reference Pastor Chris Hodges, who was on yeah, the show? Yeah. But we heard the same thing from a 25-year-old leader named Luke Lefevre, who was saying the exact same thing. Like, this generation does not want to back off from the truth, so we don't need to be soft in how we deliver truth. And people are loving, like it's from the 50s and 60s, like I think Pastor Chris said that the the hard repentance message is the new attractional church. Like I think that's yeah. like how I mean, he stated it. Like that is the new attraction. Bree Odom said it. Yeah. Charlie Hughes said it. Yeah. Elliot Bonita Jr. has said it. Like, I mean, anyone who's sort of in that Gen Z vibe has echoed the same thing. Like call us to repentance and help us to understand what we are actually believing and putting our faith on the line for. Yeah, ambiguity doesn't work anymore. This idea idea of you discover on your own has totally, people think it's foolish. So it's, no, I'm here to, what is God's opinion of it? And let me know, Pastor. And I might challenge it, but at least let me hear it. That being done with being different than the way it was done in the 80s, with a little bit of grace and actually a lot of humor. Mm-hmm. that's what I feel like it's different we're not yelling at people so I'm not preaching a message on God's perfect plan for human sexuality going and you and you, and pointing the finger I, it's a lot of laughter it's a lot of like a lot of grace it's a lot of the but it's it's wrapped in the truth of God's word so I do think we got to shy, get away from the ambiguity that we don't want people to know what we really think because we're trying to seek. It was over, it was an overcorrection. The secret yeah. movement was. Yeah, I feel like. No, I agree. Yeah, I think so. we've had a lot of conversations about sort of that attractional movement, uh, seeker movement sort of conversation too. And I think I think you know we don't want to overcorrect the other direction either, right? So there is value in being sort of either aesthetically or stylistically the kind of place where people want to come to. They 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 want to enjoy their local church, right? So there's some truth to that, um, but it's certainly not. I don't think I don't think the attractional seeker model has the front door power maybe that it used to. I, I don't think so. And, you know, I'm, I'm sort of out of full time pastoral ministry in the local church right now. But um, but I don't feel like that has the grip that it once did. Yeah, I think the what we've and I don't remember who said it, one of our guests, but like the excellence is still excellence. We want to do right. things with excellence and with the the stern not stern that sounds terrible it's such a tough word but the the truth 
and call to repentance and even the call to to purpose and ministry. Um, it's like in what you're saying with humor and grace, all those things kind of tangled in there helps balance that, which I think we've made overcorrections several times in the church. Um, and we may be more centered than we've ever been in some of those things in certain, in certain at least tribes of it. So, yeah. Yeah. I would even go a bit further going, what is, what is it today that they're looking for? And I would, I would say that genuine, legit encounters with God. Mm-hmm. So providing, cause what is the verbiage out there? So you go with what is the hot verbiage and how is the church missing it? Yeah. It's vibe. It's energy. It's, you know, what is this? It's this, I just, I feel this. Well, we need to, we've overcorrected because we grew up in crazy charismatic world. Mm -hmm. So we've shied away from a lot of the spirit filled world. That is honestly the very thing that I want people to go. I love the excellence, great guest experience. Wow. The kids had a great, safe, fun time. All of that to be secondary to, I came in and I felt gone. Yeah. Like yeah. something was Absolutely. unique in this building during worship tears are flowing from my eyes because God is in the room that is the new attractional church yeah. provide an environment that's not weird mm-hmm. God can move in the environment so I think that's where we're seeing a little bit I just I want that I want that yeah. in every one of our services because cool lights Every church has it now in America. Every, like, it's different. It's We're not yeah. in the 90s anymore where we go, man, our stage, we painted it black. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's over. It's done. Yeah. It's a, but I, and I think I think that's probably one of the biggest echoes of Gen Z and their desire for local church engagement. It, it, it's, it's beyond just sort of the, again, those lights and smoke and all that stuff. That's cool. Keep it. Like, do it if that's your thing, if that's your vibe. Yeah. But yeah. but it's it's not the preeminent necessary sort of approach and you know um anyway so so let's try to change gears really quick because i think there's another really important conversation uh that i hope we can have in the few minutes we got left but there's been a lot of noise lately obviously uh, at the time of this recording you know um a huge impact on on hillsong and that church movement um you know and i'm I'm not calling out names there are a lot of other names that we could call that's just the most current one well there's been sort of this upheaval of of you know just pastoral challenge right so yep. uh, you recently talked about um, the seven S's that you and your wife Katie sort of the, practice yeah, the sevens the sevens is the that sevens, what it is the yeah. sevens not the seven S's the sevens sorry um, but anyway you guys have a have, have a rhythm in your marriage so I mean I know this is a topic of hot conversation but how do leaders how do pastors keep themselves focused on the main things how do their and their spouses sort of keep healthy themselves not just the church yeah so let me just touch real quick on the set the three sevens uh the three sevens are every seven days we get a date and um, ours has turned into mornings uh which is awesome so we have a uh a date breakfast on wednesday mornings so that's a big win every seven weeks we get away for a day together go spend a night somewhere go get away just me and her. Sometimes I'm traveling to go preach somewhere. She comes with me. We get some time over one. Um, and every seven months, we go on a vacation. Uh, extended time away oh, without kids. Um, if kids are there, it's called a trip. If it's me and her, it's a vacation. So uh, it's, it's just a different world. So we do that. Uh, that being said, I wrote down, and I know, I'll, I'll go through very fast. But I wrote down five major lessons. This is not planned to, to share with you guys, but I think it's necessary because yeah. it's so fresh in my mind. Out of the Mars Hill and Hillsong stuff, five lessons that I'm going to share with my staff, and it'll probably even go on my podcast. I'll probably go on your podcast first. Uh, of what I've learned from this. This is my lessons. Maybe the church can learn something. Um, it's why we fall. So here's the reasons. Number one, we fall when we confuse ministry growth with God's approval of our lifestyle. So... Uh, we have this whole idea that there, God is okay with me because my ministry is growing. Mm-hmm. That's not true. That is a that is not true. We see all throughout Scripture, God used really, really flawed people that should have been in counseling and should have been really dealing with some deep-rooted issues. Yeah. God used them. And it's not approval of, of your lifestyle. Number two, 
we fall when we stop treating big, uh, we start treating, I'm sorry, we fall when we stop treating small things like they're big things. So um, there's a common denominator amongst most of both organizations and all the other falls that have happened where things that were once big things in ministry. So for instance, as a church planner, you remember when you got this first youth, people on your dream team and you're like, oh my God, people are actually yeah. with us. You know, and now the church grows and you're like, ah, they, they left, who cares? God will replace them, somebody else. We stop treating these things like they're big. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you the big one for that is finances. Mm-hmm. I remember when our church had a budget of a couple thousand dollars in that month, every penny was accounted for. Well, now we're millions and millions of dollars. You gotta be careful. That's where churches fall. When you stop, we, you stop treating small things like they're big things. Um, and here's the third one is we fall when we get entitled. There's an, I deserve this. Mm. Um, I deserve this amount of pay. I deserve to be treated this way. I deserve to be called this, this title. I deserve to fly first class. I deserve yeah. to be respected. By the way, I deserve my wife to treat me better. And this girl's going to treat me better than my wife would treat me. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. It's an entitlement. It needs to be ripped out. The last two, uh, we fall when we refuse to let people tell us no. Um, you've got to get to a place where somebody can always tell you no. And by the way, that person that can tell you no has to be inter- inside of your church. It cannot be an external right. pastor. Hmm. I have external pastors that can tell me no. But I also submit myself to our executive leadership team that if I'm doing something stupid, they're allowed to tell me no. If I have an idea they're allowed to, uh, that's dumb, they can tell me no. Yeah. If you ever get to a place where nobody can tell you no, you're destined to fall. Hmm. You will make stupid choices. And the last one is we fall when we make ministry about us instead of about Jesus. So, um, you know, I'm, I repost the sermon clip because I look cool in it, not because Jesus is glorified. Like, let's evaluate it. Really? Like, right. why do we? Yeah. It was it a success because this many people DM'd us or... Like, it's so much about us. And that's where the celebrity thing has got to die. It's not about us. It's got to be about him. Mm-hmm. And you've got to ask yourself, like, am I building something that if nobody knows my name but Jesus is glorified, am I okay with that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think the reality is most of us would do it, but we'd go in the back of our mind and go, oh, but I really want my name to be known. Yeah. Crucified. That's why yeah. Paul says I gotta die daily. I gotta lay down my life daily. Yeah. So those are my five lessons. I wouldn't even plan on sharing it, but I think it's something that's valuable. And I think I think Aaron, what we're seeing, especially in the the clips and the snippets, like and listen, we're just as guilty. Our little church plant, we we post things, but like it seems like it's the it's the part of the clip that's like feel good or funny, but little like biblical context. Like it's like. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I don't hear a scripture ever in an Instagram reel. Like like it just yeah. doesn't seem yeah, to happen. Yeah, yeah. Like like it's not the, the scripture's never read in the Instagram reel. Yeah. Like it's alluded yeah. to maybe. Um so I think that's the fifth one is such critical though. It's, we have to make it about Jesus or keep it about Jesus, not make ministry about us. It, it's my entire Lenten focus and we've already talked yeah. about this is motivational holiness. Like for for the whole Lent season this year, like it's it's all about motivation of holiness. And man, I don't really like what I'm uncovering in my own heart. Right. I mean, so it's, I think that's, that's something that we as leaders in our own spiritual health and walk and sort of formation of discipleship, we need to ask ourselves, even ourselves, those hard questions, like what am I doing out of my ego boost? And what am I doing out of that, that desire to, to honor, glorify, uh, make Jesus the preeminent, you know, famous one or whatever, like whatever terminology you want to use. But uh, that's a tough one. It's a tough one for leaders because we are sort of lifted and exalted in a lot of ways. And yeah. that can get to us really quick. My wife and I, you talk about that. Like people come up to us all the time. Like, Oh my gosh, we see y'all in person. Yeah. Big deal. You guys are like, you know, and we're nobodies in the church world, but in our community, people mm-hmm. think we're a big deal. And I'm going, it's just unhealthy. And we got to yeah. always point it back to like, we're nothing. We're approachable. We're normal people. And speaking of Rick Warren, Chris Hodges, these are people that, that been around, I mean, like you get around Chris Hodges, you're sitting there going, this is a normal human being. Yes. And I think we just got to make it about Jesus again. And I 
I'm not saying Hillsong or Marcel or anything didn't because they've all seen fruit that I don't know if I'll ever see that kind of fruit yeah. in my life. The amount of impact, I can't imagine the pressure. But I know for me and my little influence, I'm going to go, this is just what I'm going to do to make sure I avoid some of the pitfalls that I think other people Yeah, have. I think it's one of the things that, that doing this podcast has taught us, Aaron, that and we've had some some high level leaders on here that I don't know why they said yes. We don't we don't have a huge following. <laughs> We're a couple of guys just kind of yeah. scuffling along trying to figure some things out. But these people have graced us in the grace of God. They've said yes. And every one of them is super approachable, yeah. very humble, like and just they just want to engage in the conversation. And and it's yeah. like the celebrity part kind of like it wasn't that we got elevated to celebrity status to enter the room. It's that they were always somebody who could be approached. Yeah. And I think that that humility in leadership is a critical component. Um, and and again, I've I've come to you twice now in two different conferences, and you're that kind of guy. I'm like, hey Aaron, yeah. this is who I am. The first time we were in Franklin, Tennessee at a, a conference in Houston. Um, so you you embody that and live that sort of approachable humility, and we appreciate that and and love sort of the leadership um, lens you look through in the multiplication. And I know that our listeners are going to benefit from from this yeah. conversation. We have one final question that we ask every guest on the show. We do record here on the beautiful Lee University campus. If you've never been here, you should come. Uh, what is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? Oh my gosh! Uh, one le- oh the uh, lesson I did not learn. Oh. The lesson I did learn in college that did not play, take place in the class. Right. Yeah, how to deal with conflict. Yeah. Like, yeah, I dealt with, I, listen, college is all about relationships. And there's not like a, at least there wasn't at the university I went to. There wasn't like an entry level class to say, hey, by the way, you're about to get to the closest relationship you'll ever have in your life. Mm-hmm. Here's how you actually manage them mm-hmm. and deal with conflict. So I had to learn that outside the classroom. Uh, that's awesome. That's true. That's, that's so true. good. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the podcast that you host is called Made for More Podcast. It's a great listen. So when you're done listening to this, flip over there. Uh, it's Radiant Church in Tampa. Aaron is a great guy. And as we always say here at the Leadership Drip, you've got to see at the table. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Leadership Drip. If something from this episode was helpful for you, then share it on your social media and tag us. If we see it, we may reshare it on our channels. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. And remember, you always have a seat at the table.